HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hey, this is Hannah Forden. I'm the program manager here at Heritage Radio Network. This year, we're celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary, and I want to thank all of our listeners and members for being a part of an incredible year of food radio. We never would have made it this far without all of you. So HRN is now in its summer fun drive, and this is when we turn to you and ask that you make a donation to help ensure a bright future for food radio. Whether you listen to one show or 20, there's a reason why you keep tuning in week after week. All of our content is powered by a small nonprofit, and we rely on your generosity to keep going. Help us keep broadcasting the most thought-provoking, entertaining, and educational conversations happening in the world of food and beverage. So become a member today. To celebrate our 10th anniversary, we have some brand new member gifts available online, so I encourage you to snag your new favorite pizza-themed t-shirt or enamel pin today and show the world how much you love HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate so you can snag your 10th anniversary member swag. And thank you. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, today is July 23rd, 2019. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here again. It's heritageradionetwork.org. We have a special show. Um, we listen to our listeners and we appreciate those of you who have been listening for many, many years. We're on our 400, I think, 90th episode and we've been doing this for 10 years. But uh, Ethan Siegler, who's a, a he's an MBA student out of USC, uh, d- did a study. So, Ethan, introduce yourself and, and tell us quickly what you did and why you're interested in being on the show with us. Yeah. So, as I meant, uh, as Jimmy mentioned, I'm from USC Marshall, just graduated, and uh, I was really interested in how consumers are selecting the beers and breweries they sell, uh, they choose in the LA area. Great, man. Thank you. And we kind of built the whole show around it. We're talking in general about just kind of like sales data, consumer sales data. And we've got a bunch of industry experts who are kind of working in that field. So uh, one guy I just met first time on the radio, 
His family's been doing this, for, analyzing industry data for how long? About 50 years. It's, uh, my grandpa actually started uh, what was the first industry trade publication for the beer business in 1970. And my dad runs the company now, and my name is David Steinman. Uh, I'm the senior editor for our craft publication, Craft Brew News. But uh, really, we're just jack-of-all-trades writing about uh, everything from sales data to the, the latest news and mergers and acquisitions, things like that. Um, le- uh, policy, like big, bigger industry, bigger industry data trends. and trends uh, that we're following very closely and to keeping in touch with as many breweries as we can and distributors in and the you, process. You had a couple insights into. You looked at Ethan's report. What, what were some th- few things that jumped out at you? Well, I mean, it, it seemed pretty on point, but there's not that much um, consumer level data that you know is very concrete. It's it's a little bit wishy-washy, to, to be honest. There's nothing that you can really ever say is 100%, but it, it does feel like uh, the, the consumer doesn't necessarily think the same way that industry thinks. And that was one of the themes that of Ethan's report that uh, sort of jumped out at me, where you've got... Uh, people who don't really know how to differentiate what they're looking for in terms of style when they're trying to buy a beer at a bar and and the way that we're segmenting everything out as an industry or as a bar uh or a retail store it 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 feels like they're setting it up as if they knew great and also another guest who's dealing with data often <laughs> <laughs> i think about beer a little more than i'd like to admit but uh my name's gage i'm from beermenus.com and non-sequitur beer project uh and so our beer menus focus is on uh providing consumers with information about where they can buy the beer that they want uh or you know tracking what's available as well as business tools to help bars and restaurants sell more of the beer that they're carrying by uh, organizing the information about their beers uh, including, you know, descriptions, styles, and just, uh, like, nice print menus, online menus, TV menus, so that customers know uh, what they're purchasing. So do, do you have any consumer data, or you you more more have data about what's what's selling at retail levels? So I've got a lot of information about what customer beer drinkers are searching for, what they want to drink. Uh, right now, you know, we're seeing a lot of the sort of uh, either like non-alcoholic or non-beer stuff that's that's uh, getting into our space, you know, hard seltzers, things like Natter Days, which I couldn't bring on the show as much as I tried really hard to we get it. We wouldn't let them bring it in. They wouldn't, yeah. They, <laughs> it's, it's out there. Um, there's a lot of that, but, you know, we see, uh, the last time I was but on the, the show... the staff at Roberta's drinking it all. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I was on the show, I think it, we had a similar conversation and, you know, the, the, the point that I made first and foremost uh, is that IPA is king, and it's not changing. And I, and I bet Ted, uh, who hasn't been introduced yet, sorry, I'm jumping the gun, uh, but, like, the, the search data points to it. And I, if, if you did a breakout by style, I imagine you'd find that IPA is key because and, and consumers are making decisions around style. Uh, that was the one thing that we, we took away as, as the most important. O- overwhelmingly. Like, yeah. the data is showing that's the factor they're looking at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, it's it's a lot of IPA when we when we look at this list of you know New York, San Francisco, Chicago, all across the country uh, for what's being searched. Right, let's get 
Next, last guest. <laughs> okay, I'm Ted Kenny. I own Top Hop Beer Shop on the Lower East Side of New York. And yeah, IPA is definitely king. Um, and you know, everyone gave up on filtering any kind of beer. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, at Just least, make at least it here cloudy. on the East Coast. I mean, yeah, the cloudier the better. But Ted, your background is interesting. Like you're industry veteran before you opened Top Hops. Yeah, I've had Top Hops now for uh, seven and a half years. And uh, the, I finally eclipsed the time that I spent at uh, InBev, at AB InBev. Uh, I was there for five years, and, and it seemed like, you know, a decade or seven. Um, but it's... Uh, but what, what kind of data do you look for? Is, is there any data that's available to you that, that you regularly use, you know, now as a... You're a good beer seal, you know, top, you know, beer bar retailer. Well, yeah, I mean, we... We're looking to our customer and asking, you know, having our customer tell us what uh, what they want. Uh, it's definitely the IPA. It's definitely local. Um, you know, it, and the thing about the the data that's available out there is you can't really get um, much data on a you know a two thousand barrel brewery that just <laughs> opened up. You know, yeah. and that, and meanwhile, that's what everybody's looking for. Um, so it's tr- trying to keep current on what's going on it's all local um which when i opened up seven years ago it was not all local we had a lot more people interested in a lot of things from around the country and around the world uh it's very much now um a local driven market um and the you know so it's a little hard to get the uh you know researchable information on that Okay, let's go. Keep going, guys. Gage, you kind of uh, took the helm here. Oh, no. I'm in charge. Welcome. This is my show now. Um, I mean, certainly... He's a natural. When we... <laughs> um, when we... Uh, so, we've spent a lot of time trying to uh, engineer building menus... Uh, for in-bar and restaurant use that makes sense and help the consumer make a purchase decision. And the information that we're going to include on a menu is description of the beer, if available, which with a 2,000-barrel brewery, it can be hard. Some of these guys don't write descriptions for their own beers. Based and a lot of times back, I'm talking to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then it's, uh, it's ABV, style, and location. And just providing that little bit of information for a consumer drives their purchase, makes they're going to, they'll spend double the money that they would if they didn't have that information available. ABV, style, and location. location. So, you know, then you know if it's a local beer, and that's huge. And being able to organize that information is also also key. So, Ethan. Yeah, it's definitely speaking to that. Uh, In my research, it focused a lot in the L.A. area. And and there, uh, it's the story of the brewery that's really making a beer stand out and stick out in people's memory. So if uh, the beer is made by an all-women brewery or someone who supports their local community, it's more than just a, I liked the beer and forgot about what it was two days later. They actually remember some of the details behind it. And then when they're at the store... They see it on the shelf. They're interested. It pops out to them, and that's uh, that's what's driving a lot of these repeat purchases and and really long term interest. Because you know, beautiful packaging could sell the beer the first time. You just have to have something good in the glass. Did you get a sense for how the consumers were learning the stories of the businesses? Is it like I'm going to the brewery and someone is telling me what we're about, or I went to the website to learn that? How are they learning? Yeah. So there's. Really a couple of methods, uh, but it it all starts with the brewer themselves. Uh, The brewery needs to be forming these, I I call it mindful drinking moments, where instead of just uh, using a thumbs up, thumbs down, do they like it or not assessment, 
taking the time to teach someone a little bit about the beer or make them slow down and think about what's actually in their glass rather than just it's liquid and alcoholic. And so um, from the brewer's side, there's a whole bunch of these guided tastings as opposed to just a tap takeover or there's a uh, beer and food pairing. And that all of these are things that make people slow down and actually think about what's in the glass. But then from a consumer standpoint, people love to learn stuff. You know, people like to do things while they drink, whether it's hang out with friends, play trivia. And, you know, they're learning from the brewery. They're learning at the bar, uh, whether there's a well-educated um, uh, bartender or they're also learning from packaging. You know, as much as these minimalistic, beautiful designed packages can be, they also have no information. So, mm. you know, while the mm -hmm. art on it's gorgeous, you have no idea what's actually going to be inside the package. A lot of times you can't even find the, uh, the name of the beer. <laughs> David. Uh, that was just making me think of this one brand in particular, Firestone Walker's 805 Blondale that really, I mean, when you think about hitting on branding and, and local They've got the zip code uh, on the brand, you know, front and center, and it's big, and it's that brand has grown. Most of its sales are in California. Uh, I think eighty percent of its sales are in California, and it's the eleventh largest craft brand sold nationally in in scan data in in, uh, in wow. chain stores. That's great. And Ted, so for you as you know, a top retail beer bar place, what are things that, that jump out for you? You know. Are you looking for products that are moving? How do you know they're moving? Obviously, you know, always looking for products that are moving. Um, I, I would say that you know, number one is style, but right behind that is brewery. Um, you know, and and the the ones you know, I was actually doing some buying today just before I came over here. Uh, the ones that are moving are like, um, got you know, guys that are local here, but actually have a national name so and who, national who, who, are you, who are you talking about? Well, the twins. Evil Twin and his brother Mickler. You know, the uh, you know those are those definitely resonate with with people from across the country. And and since they both have a presence here in New York now, and Mickle opened the uh, the place up in uh, you know City Field. Um, and it, you know then and then there are the and they, those guys also have you know really interesting labels. Um, and then beyond that, it's. Uh, you know the and the and one of the things that I like about those two is that it's not just all IPA. Uh, one of the, uh, you know I was thinking about this while while we were talking here. One of the reasons why I got into craft beer and why I opened Top Ops and stock seven hundred plus different brands of beer is everybody was drinking lager for you know Pilsner lagers forever, and we're like oh wait no there's all these great other styles of beer out there yeah we we had there was this i don't know if you saw this it went around the internet a couple days ago uh someone used the wayback machine which we've talked about here before to pull the top beers from like 2003 uh and rogue dead guy i mean not only 2003 but that was a top beer for a long time and now i couldn't name someone who makes a maybach right do you even have a maybach on the shelf right now uh, you'd be, you'd have to go and dig yes, around. Yes, but that's because we have, we <laughs> stocked do. about fifty German beers, so yeah, right. we've got a Einbecker. Know. Yeah, <laughs> but those can be hard to come by now because everybody's Very. you're just getting inundated with IPA. Yeah. Well, I, I saw in your studies too, um, Ethan, that you you said that dark beer doesn't appeal to people. It seems heavy. 
So do you, do you feel like that we are skewed towards IPAs and like sours are trendy? So everyone's jumping on that. When I, I'm I'm more like what Gage is saying. I, I I want a more well-rounded beer list. You know, for everyone that's buying an IPA, there's still someone that to me that's asking for like a malty beer, like an amber lager or something. I I also gravitate towards some darker beers. In fact, uh, last weekend I had a delicious brown ale, and it was the first brown ale I think I saw in a month or two, and and uh, I'd probably go another month or two before finding another one on the menu. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I definitely think with consumers, there's there might be a bit of an education gap in some areas where often, um, you know, they, they taste something that's really dark and roasty and it and it turns them off from from that entire spectrum. Uh, you know, and, and often you, you mentioned uh, that the study shows that dark beers are perceived as heavy. Guinness is often listed as the heaviest beers consumers can think of. And that's I don't know what four percent four four point two percent yeah it's, it's, it's it, yeah it, it almost on on the the, uh, the the different you know um, technical things are it's it's almost the same as Bud Light it's the same same calories um, well, I think it's less yeah it, it's within within a tenth of percent I mean yeah. it's you know it, it's it's right there take the corn out you know it's mm. <laughs> corn fed that makes you fat David you well we're jumping because you, you got a whole different perspective on this uh, industry analyst what, what size breweries are you, are you typically following well we're from AB and on down but uh, in the craft and same goes for craft it's uh, all of AB's acquired breweries at this point and Sam Adams now dogfish part of the Boston beer team uh, that's more of a recent change and and then on down from the largest craft brewers that are more national and into some of these uh, all of these local players that have popped up now 7500 and counting uh, across the country but for guys like you know you're in an mba program like like ethan and you're, you're studying this data there's jobs in this then obviously. I, I mean absolutely uh, there's there's at least two thousand breweries uh that are in planning currently that have ttb permits but have not opened their brewery yet and uh, there's been <laughs> which is incredible to think of there there's going to be 10,000 breweries in this country most likely within the next couple of years uh, the brewers association chief economist uh Bart Watson uh, said over, back at uh, the craft brewers conference earlier this year uh and it you know with it it just seems like that kind of growth at the local level absolutely will provide jobs the only thing is it's getting tougher out there it's not this has not become this has become more difficult of an industry each year that that we're looking at the data uh it's not as easy to grow as a whole segment so some some of the larger brewers are taking the lumps right now uh, in sales data while and, when and a since we're talking like, large brewers, uh, Ethan, you you mentioned the term mobility gap. Let's just talk about getting to a certain level. What is mobility gap? Yeah, so that's the general phenomena where it's really hard, or it, it's easy to get to a certain size, and it's really hard to get past that. Uh, so you see, I, I think we're talking about fifty thousand barrels a year as kind of that that sweet spot where they're still growing. But it's really hard to grow past that without taking on a ton of debt or getting acquired um, or, you know, or, or doing something dramatic, whether it's a merger with another brewery. And David, so you mentioned your, your father. So you, your family has been doing this a long time. I only recently met you. You met us after the Jeff Alwo show a few months ago. Sure. 
So tell your father spoke at a, at the CBC conference. That's right. Uh, well, it just made me think. I had never heard the term mobility gap before, but uh, that fit right in with yeah. So at uh, CBC on the panel was Natalie Salerzo uh, at Russian River, and she just uh, and her and Vinny and uh, Russian River just invested a whole bunch of money a- into an expansion. The, out there in Northern California at, for a beautiful new brewery uh, in a time when it's really difficult to be justifying those kinds of expansions. Uh, you know, a lot of brew, there's been a, more and more stories of brewers falling into traps of going into debt and, uh, you know, getting trapped by that debt, maybe having to file for bankruptcy, something like that, if the growth stops. But Natalie uh, was talked to everybody that she knew basically she she said uh interviewing them on what their happy their happiest moment of uh their business was in terms of volume what was the cap on that and they uh exclusively pretty much came to about a 50,000 barrel marker before <laughs> they they had to really start thinking a little bit more about investing in that growth and going into debt maybe or doing That's, a deal it's very interesting so so going back to like measuring you know local data gage you you guys have data on beers in different cities mm-hmm. first tell us what you brought because i know you brought a couple of beers and oh, what's sh- what's selling this is interesting for us what is actually sell or people are searching for on beermenus.com oh i mean so because we rank really well in search engines we end up pulling in people you know who are looking for places like top hops but also people who uh, are this uh, un- sort of uneducated consumer who sees something on social media or gets hit with an ad or whatever and wants to know where to find it. So we'll find a lot of things. You know, Heineken 0.0. So is, someone's looking for a beer and then comes, they, they beer simply, menus pops up. Right. They simply don't know where to go. They go to Google. That's everybody's beer finder, right? They don't know about us. So they'll run that search. We typically, you know, 99 times out of 100 are, are going to be the top results. So we're getting, you know, there's a lot of people searching for Heineken 0.0, which is brand new. We've got the, the White Claws, which are performing really well. Don't want to um, hear about that. <laughs> Some of this stuff is is scary, man. I mean, I the, don't even the, know, the growth stuff. rate is insane for that stuff. Uh, but what's what's also really interesting is that we continue to see uh, heavy hitters like uh, Hetty Topper and Pliny the Elder sit at the top of the search and follow lists. Uh, for months and years at a time, I mean, I don't think they've ever left. I think those beers, Chicago, you see zombie dust. Uh, the, there's still growth in because uh, the, the, your the people like us who know things about craft beer, they we all know like ah, Hetty Topper can't really get it right. It'll show up every now and then. Get it when I can. Pliny the Elder sort of the same way on the West Coast. Uh, but there's new people getting into the space all of the time who are like, well, that's the big beer. That's the one I have to have. And they're just going to Google, where can I get it? And they'll, you know, they'll call me. Consumers will call our website and say, yeah, can I, can I get zombie dust? I'm in Ohio. And I'm like, I don't know, man, maybe, probably not. People call me from North Carolina for Hetty Topper. I I can't help you, you know? Um, but yeah, there's a, that, yes. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've had people walk into Top Hops and they're like, um, okay, they've got the the top fifty from whatever website. It continues to happen, you know. And it's like it's like okay, this beer was brewed five years ago and has been brewed since then. Yep. You, you're not going to want it, <laughs> you know. This beer like this beer is not 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 available. Only available Trillium, Trillium, Trillium. Go to tri- Massachusetts. Yeah. Go, go to go stand online. You know, <laughs> you, you you get all that. Uh, 
it's it's you know I'm like okay speed waste out I got that right can do you that know well, we didn't talk about the beers we brought uh, so I brought uh, I, am I the only one who brought beer you guys you degenerates huh nothing <laughs> all right well now you're up your, your beermenus.com man oh, and he owns a bar come on uh, <laughs> he totally has 700 different beers I, I will take this opportunity to plug my fine friends who donated beer uh, for a Planned Parenthood charity event, actually. So I brought uh, Industrial Arts Tools of the Trade, which is their extra pale ale. Uh, and I, we've also got, yet to be opened, a Finback uh, Sour IPA uh, that they, they donated because they wanted to help uh, my brewery raise some money for charity. So that was great. And we're also all drinking a Flora uh, wine spritzer. Is this, this is the Tiki, yeah? Yep. Yes. So uh, Flora was started by the folks who run Graft, uh, who are great on I Adore. I love them. They're very amazing, and I hope they listen to this. Um, Graft Cider. And so now uh, they've got this wine spritzer new project, uh, which is beautiful packaging uh, and, you know, marketed to the same audience of people who are mindful of uh, well-being and health in their See, drinks. So what about all these new canned beverages, David? <sighs> Well, cans are absolutely what's growing most of all at retail, um, and actually bottles now have gotten to the point where they're they're declining in the scan data that we look at. Wow! Uh, at least yeah. in the craft realm. Teddy, um, want to pop so, that back? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's cans all the time. Everyone's got everything from uh, the twelve ounce six packs, twelve packs to uh, and even fifteen packs to. Um, to the 16 well, ounce, what about these other 19.2s. Pro- these other products, big. because I'm saying this is oh, like a sure. wine spritzer in a can. Yeah, th- those are starting to pop up more and more for sure. Um, and the cider companies and uh, are trying to get into it. The, some of the Anheuser-Busch InBev has, you know, like a, a ton of new different products similar to that that they're testing out in small uh, small doses, uh, market by market, uh, and it just goes on down. Uh, there's local companies doing it as well. Uh, but you know, it makes me think about that. I think sometimes I have the conversation. We're in the craft beer niche, and mm. I feel that there's a huge beverage market that's bigger than all beer. Like beer, there's always going to be beer sales, and there's always going to be drink sales. But I feel that the real growth in everything is just this larger beverage category. Most, there's, yeah. S- sorry, uh, just real quick. Most of the you know fastest-growing micro-trends in beer right now, are, or, or the broader definition of beer, are from non-alc uh, beverages right now. Mm-hmm. You, seltzer is a fast-growing thing that's happening in non-alc world, and now you know they've dipped over... Uh, into the fastest growing category in quote unquote beer world, uh, and it just you got kombucha, hard kombuchas have started to show up more and more. There's more and more looking outside of the box. There's a lot of, I mean, there's certainly a lot of people looking to wellness, um, yes. their alcohol consumption to be better for them, ignoring that it's poison yep. or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I think we I talk about this a lot at work. I think this is probably something this is sort of what you're you're getting to is that we think about craft beer as a certain level of consumer who knows more or less what they want, right? Who cares about IP, who cares about local, but there is a bigger category of this casual drinker who doesn't really and maybe never will cross that line. I mean, we hope they do, right? That's better for us than and you know, hard seltzer than hard for if they, you know, stick in hard seltzer. But uh, one of the data points that I found really interesting was that the consumer is more likely 
to be to pick something new to try something they haven't had if it's at a brewery or at a bar than at a grocery store which speaks to the fact that they're uneducated to some degree they don't know as much as they could so they're going to stick with something that they know rather than being somewhere where they can learn and then try new things and and probably typically grow i mean we've experienced growth therefore those folks are growing into beer drinkers or have over time you know and even i know you studied that particularly yeah so there's there's a real simple reason that i found in my qualitative research for why folks explore at a bar or a brewery which is they all almost all of them will give you a sample so if you want to try it you try it if you don't like it it's zero risk mm-hmm. and even that even though folks are less likely to explore at a liquor store bottle shop supermarket whatever it is there's still, I, I, I don't have the exact number I could pull it up, but I think it's like 70% of consumers will try something new at a store. So, you know, even even there, they're, they're still willing to try new stuff. That's great. Guys, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, we're talking about data, sales data, beer consumer data. Ethan, what is your study, man? Ethan Siegler from a recent MBA grad did a nice study about uh, beer data. Yeah, so I was looking at the whole consumer journey, whether it's uh, you know from thinking about, geez, maybe I need something in the fridge to drink, to actually buying it and, and uh, putting in your glass and having it with friends and Definitely looking from a small brewer perspective, how can you use that journey to make sure you get sales? How can you build your presence? And and how can you make sure you make people happy? That's why everyone brews in the first place, is to make a great beer that people will enjoy. So, Ted, what were you talking about? Um, Yeah, so we were talking... Took an ad, and these guys talked about pretty interesting stuff. Before the the break, we were talking about... um, about education and and that's the reason why people go to breweries and and go to uh, beer bars and stuff is to be educated usually in a uh, in a so I might go to a grocery store and I know I'm going to get a certain brand I want an IPA some of my friend wants a lager right and, and they're, they're 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 looking for education they may not even think about it as education because they're, they're looking at more of a casual interaction with somebody uh, at Top Hops we we strive to do that every day and you know. One of the great things is, is listening to conversations going on between two uh, two of our customers that have never met each other before, talking about the different aspects of the beer and which beer they're trying. Where were, where were they recently? But in, in addition to that, we offer um, classes. Uh, we have structured classes that we do, and we, but it's a great way what, to what, introduce people. What are a couple people. of the classes, Ted? Um, well, we have history of beer, 
uh, Beer 101 for, for new uh, people that are just, exper- just exploring craft beer. And then as a follow-up to that, we have, uh, so now you're a beer nerd. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Do you get a certification for that? <laughs> a pin. Um, now I'm going to have to go ahead. Good question. Um, but, you know, we, we get a lot of people to come in, and they, they want to learn more about beer. And, you know, and uh, you know, part of Ethan's, uh, at the beginning of Ethan's uh, uh, paper, he says that a lot of the people don't want to admit that they're a novice that they that they're you know <laughs> yeah. new to craft beer or new to beer and you know this is an opportunity you know these types of interactions with brewers and you know we were saying earlier that uh that people people really want to identify with the brewer uh and the brewery and you know part of that is the education of getting to know you know and, and people want to want to support uh you know businesses that they have a you know a common connection with um, you really find that with the uh, that that is definitely a uh, a constant from you know before I got you know I, I knew it before I got into the business I knew that that was one of the big things that I that drove me to want to be in craft beer and you know wanted to share that with a lot of other people. And what's great about beers is just such a humble, approachable thing. You know, not not to say that wine and spirits aren't humble and approachable, but there's this sense of let's just have a beer. Don't really have to think about it too hard. Have something that's just nice and comforting. And at the same time, there's all these amazing breweries making spectacular products that can be paired with five, you know, Michelin star, five star restaurants and can be put against the best food in the world because it's just such high quality product. And it's both approachable, but also this high quality, you know, luxury product. Let me ask just that there are a couple of things in your study, Ethan, I just wanted to. Um, you said style knowledge is limited, so you're assuming in the, lar- the larger market, not everyone's like a super beer geek. And it says if a session IPA isn't available, the customers may not select a pale ale, but they'll go to a different style they like. Yeah, so customers kind of have in their head the styles they like, whether it's uh, they know they like stouts or they know they like IPAs or pale ales or whatever it is. And if they're not able to find that exact wording of it, they don't always have the knowledge to say, oh, this is equivalent or this is quite similar. So what I always find entertaining is how a pale, uh, you know, someone said, let's make a really hoppy, boozy pale ale. We'll call it an IPA. And then people decided that it's a bit too boozy, a bit too hoppy. So they'll scale it back a little bit and call it a session IPA. And if folks aren't able to find that session IPA, they might not know to start looking for a pale ale as something may be comparable. They might go, you know, to a red or to a, you know, a Belgian style that's just completely different. It's funny that we, that you, that you mentioned that because breweries are fracturing existing styles into new styles or trying to, you know, invent something new. You know, for a minute we had the Brute IPA uh, and... There was very little. Is that gone already, Ted? It's pretty much gone, right? (laughs) They still have them on the West Coast. Yeah, Yeah. well, you know, that's where they got made, and I think that people listened to Kim Sturdivant when he was like, "This is a new thing, and we're going to make it this way." But truth be told, it's basically just a dry hop. Who is that guy? He uh, he's the head brewer at uh, Social Beer Company, Social Beer something or other in San Francisco, and he had a particular way of making it. But then when it 
left San Francisco, people took put their own spin on a style that wasn't codified. So we sort of defeated the purpose <laughs> of introducing something new. And now uh, on in the West Coast, I don't know if it's local to San Francisco specifically, there's the New Zealand style Pilsner. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, <laughs> which is incredible to me because it is just a New Zealand dry hopped Pilsner, which is a Pilsner. Uh, an American Pilsner, if you will, uh, which is how we've been making them. Or an Italian Pilsner was, you know, is it, that's a new thing. And that's just a German style Pilsner uh, with noble dry hopping, which is just like just a hair different <laughs> than the way that the historical style was identified. So now, I mean, luckily those, uh, some of them have the terms that allow the consumer to, to go, okay, so I like a Pilsner, maybe I'll like an NZ style Pilsner. But if we don't, we're introducing these pastry sours these you know candy beers that a lot of breweries are doing uh, can the consumer make that jump do they understand that or are we just making it harder especially when you consider the reverse if you really get into this weird sub style like a brute ipa or a pastry sour and then you don't know where to go after that and that's a flash in the pan are you like stuck in this weird place where you just don't like you run out of beer you like because you you were uneducated and then you you feel like an idiot what I imagine is going to happen. I mean, uh, there's this uh, constant debate within industry of uh, the paradox of choice, mm. right? There, when you have too much, it's it's harder to actually make your decision for what you want or what you're going to purchase. And uh, and I think that craft brewers, the craft industry, a little bit has fallen into the trap of uh, what's new, what's next, and yeah, there. Yeah. It's a uh, it's constant. It it is what the consumer is looking for at the same time. Uh, they're seeking new, but uh, I think it, there's some signs, at least early signs, that it's starting to finally uh, pare back a little bit. For instance, there was a survey conducted by Nielsen and the Brewers Association jointly just uh, presented a couple days or last week that said. What's your favorite TV show? <laughs> yeah, what, what's your favorite favorite TV show? It was uh, it was The Office. No. Uh, it was uh, basically that consumers are narrowing their window of brands that they choose in a in a given month, and mm. this is new. The, that hadn't been happening. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily <laughs> see it in my own purchase habits. I, I I mean maybe in my own purchase habits, but I don't necessarily see it everywhere else. But that's at least what their survey said, and that's the first time we've seen that number actually contract you know, well, <laughs> it, since they've been doing the survey. I'm oh. waiting for the uh, for the double dry hop Pilsner IPA. <laughs> <clears throat> Which it depends, is, gonna be, it depends which is actually going to be a wheat beer. It depends on the <laughs> brand. I'll just but. give every adjective to the style that I can, and you will get none of the things you expect once you open it. But, but Gage, you, you talk about this at, at, at your work all the time, right? Mm-hmm. These are the things. What does it matter? Don't you just have a setup where people just search for things? I mean, why do you have to know things? Why do you have to know things? Man, uh, if I knew the answer to that, I think I would have the answer. That's the, like, <laughs> why are we alive? Uh, you know, because there, the paradox of choice is a very real thing, right? You walk into a bar, I mean, very cl- while, while Roberta's, where we are, love you, Roberta's, only has, what, eight beers on tap. You can go about a five-minute walk to the well where they've got 60 beers on tap. How do you even begin to approach a decision if you don't know anything? And then it's, it's overwhelming, and of course then you fall back on, on the beer you've had before or the brewery you've had before or at least the style that you know you like. That's how uh, Budweiser became king of beer. You knew the That's, name. That was it. 
But there's yeah. there are some places that have over a hundred beers on tap that they're organizing it in a way that the consumer enjoys and understands. And I think it gets back to what we we're talking at the beginning about how we might be using the wrong words to talk about the beer. Rather than say a New Zealand Pilsner, which I mean, sure, I know it's a Pilsner, but sounds sexy. Yeah, it's great. But, you know, describe it as, okay, these are hop forward beers or these are more bitter beers. These are going to be fruitier beers. These are going to be maltier or sweeter or or these words, you know, chocolatey, roasty things that people can can relate to their their taste buds. And and that's how you organize that hundred beer list. We still have the problem in a lot of places, frustratingly, uh, where people they they believe that IPA means necessarily bitter. Uh, there are lots sure. of lots of the country doesn't understand that IPA is just has a lot of hops, and there are multiple ways that you can implement that. I see the microphone moving. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, uh, and now hazy IPA has been you know the buzz yeah. the buzz style sub style of IPA, and that I think is sort of starting to teach a broader maybe I don't know broader, but is teaching more people that IPA is not necessarily bitter yeah. or only bitter. Ted, how do you do it with 700 different beers? How, how do you sort, how do you educate people besides your classes? Right. Well, the, well, we, when I walk into yours, so Ethan in his report, what I liked, he said that people, they like to unplug sometimes and not be, they're sitting in their office, like in a computer. They actually want to go into a store. Like I like to go to wine stores and, and browse the aisles and look at, and I think this is it's what you said. So at, at Top Ops, it's like that. I can walk in. There's all these coolers. I can look at the different beers. Yeah, and when we when we opened up, uh, when we were setting it up, we that was one of the things we had to grapple with is how we're going to set it up. Um, and you know, there's a few different ways you can break it down. And a lot of people told me at the beginning, oh, you, you should really break it down by style. And we decided, or alphabetically, and I was just like, that just seems to be a lot of shuffling things <laughs> back and forth a lot. Um, so we decided to go uh, geographically, and that seemed to be. The, and then and then under geographically we, we keep everything from the same brewery together that way that's what you know people can people shop by where is it from and who's brewing it after style but you know we, we and I'm really glad we did that because now it would be you know we have 16 refrigerators would be 14 IPA refrigerators and two of everything yeah. else so the uh, you know it, it's uh, it, but you know the ge- geographically and that that is starting to get a little uh difficult too because you've got uh breweries that open in multiple locations and okay where, where's it brewed so we decided no it's where it's where the beer was it was where the brewery originally was from okay for you guys so we've got la beer menus city versus city what are some differences so we've got new york you've you you, you track other major cities too like chicago sure what's what's are there differences in what's being searched for in those other cities compared to New York? You know, I think generally speaking, the searching for IPA, uh, as well as, you know, what's popular on, on social media and on in advertisements is pretty key. Um, but outside of, this is, I don't mean for this to get political, but outside of the coast, um, <laughs> in the in middle America, not Chicago, not the, the biggest cities, there is a lot more uh, want for diversity, loggers, um, more classical uh, beers, st- uh, a, di- a diversity of styles. That stuff is still has play in places that are not the big cities and the coasts. Um, that said, the you're saying the, that not in the big cities. There's people have more wide range of interests. 
Yeah, because I, I, I mean, you could easily say that it's because those beer markets are not as developed as New York, Boston, L.A., San Francisco. Um, and oh, I had another point and I've lost it. Well, I, yeah, but I, it's, I that's interesting because quick, it's like it, it's, it's that the people from outside of the major metropolitan areas are interested in, in a wider range of things. And the people that are that are in the, the, the very high densely populated areas. But it's, it's almost like, consider it where we were when you opened, right? Yeah. We, we, there was variety made sense. And there was a period in the middle before we just said IPA is it, where people drank around and tried different things. And I, I would cons- I would say that those, you know, not the major cities, smaller cities in the middle of America are, are where we were. But that's not to say that there aren't breweries out there who are trying to play the hits too and make cool IPAs because, you know, they go to CBC and they see what's happening and they are on social media. So... They're trying, but it's, you know, you can get people to wait in line for IPA in Massachusetts. You can't really get people to wait in line for IPA in Nebraska. I don't wait in line. Ethan, <laughs> um, back to your study. You, you were mentioning that some things play in L.A. that they wouldn't translate to New York City. What is that, a localness? Yeah, I, I was really curious to know uh, in, in your data if you're seeing places. So I was lucky enough to grow up in South Florida where our version of winter was just really nice weather, maybe 70 degrees. And Rub I'm, it in. Yeah, I, I went to school in Rochester, so I, I paid my, uh, <laughs> right. my dues. That's right. But uh, I'm just curious to know, you know, in some of those areas, you would imagine that summer beers or what we would think of summer beers in places that have winter are going to be popular all year round and there might be some of these bigger warming styles that aren't so popular you know throughout the year so i'm curious to see what you see there uh you know it's funny i i i think that over the last couple of years i i have certainly seen ted this is also i'd like you to back me up on this seen a shift away from explicitly referring to beers by their seasonality not only are fewer breweries doing seasonals in the way that we used to but also Crappy season. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't see a whole lot of summer beers anymore. I mean, uh, I think Five Bros did one for their first summer. Not they. I don't know if they brought it back, actually. But, like, Brooklyn has their summer ale. And I don't think of a whole lot of other breweries who are making a summer ale. Especially not, you know, small to mid-sized breweries. The same for winter. Although we've you start making stouts and stuff, and that is a winter beer. It just doesn't get the identification. But, I mean, that's just making lighter beers, more Pilsners, more wheat beers, more lower alcohol beers, easy drinking. And as we shift towards cans, of course, more beers are beach beers. More beers are walking around beers uh, in places where that's legal. Yeah, well, uh, one of the thoughts behind that, uh, seasonal, the catch-all seasonal brands are declining in all of the data that we look at. But uh, seasonal has been replaced by just you know vast amount of selection. Yeah, you, you have New. you have everything. You have every style that you could possibly imagine available at pretty much any given time. David, just from tell thousands me, would, and thousands. Tell me of the breweries. numbers that you're talking about because you're tracking the whole industry. So seasonal. So how do you how do you see a shift? How many millions of <laughs> items that have I to mean, change. okay, that's a good question. I, I'd have to think about how many items have, uh, you know, are tracked and have changed over. And, and also, the, some of the data I'm thinking of right now is retail, which definitely doesn't capture the 2,000-barrel brewery that's selling everything out of its own backyard. Mm. Um, but that being said, there's there's more and more 
brands and SKUs available at the retail level, even that is tracked. And the thought is that, you know, you've got so many thousands of, of brands or SKUs, you don't need necessarily a catch-all seasonal. And, and on top of that, the the biggest seasonals like a Sam Summer and, and stuff like that have for many years been in decline uh, because of that. And in, then, David, who, who actually... It's a subscription base. People pay for this data. Yeah. Who who's getting your data and what does it make them Thankfully, do? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really from uh, it started out in the earliest point from all of the distributors uh, were some of our earliest customers across the country and and then it, from there it sort of built and at this point it's the largest brewers from Anheuser Busch InBev on down. Uh, to some of the larger craft brewers um, and, and whoever has, you know, the more and more people that uh, are willing to come on and check out our stuff, we we welcome them. But it really, it probably does sort of, it doesn't get too low on the craft uh, volume level. Uh, so it, we are, you know, information is... is uh, Expensive. We don't sometimes. have somebody entering the data. Exactly. Nobody we, knows. We've got we've got the data, but we've got to price it out uh, accordingly. But you know, that being said, we're also always open to talking and sharing uh, now, with one anybody. One thing I like about the show is that that just seeing how big this industry is, and it does take me back again. The beverage sector is huge and enormous, and we like being in it. But Ted, you're on the yeah. ground. They're on the ground floor. So do you need to know all this information? Um, are you the one that we should be asking what sells? <laughs> we don't know. You know, we don't know what's going to sell until after it sells. But more importantly, we don't know what's not going to sell until after it doesn't sell. <laughs> you remember those days? The uh, I mean, I, I would say that the my theory on what killed uh, the seasonal beer um, was pumpkin. <laughs> there was that everybody and was dead <laughs> and we're happy about it <laughs> they were, they, i mean they would start selling they would the, the the reps would start showing up selling pumpkin beer in july yep and Ugh. you know it was like are, are you absolutely you're, you're gonna you know i'm like get out of my place do not come back and, and does pumpkin have to mean pumpkin pie spice right and you know what and and, ev- and so everybody made a pumpkin beer that about four years ago and you know, then there was the big pumpkin mountain that was still there for, for Christmas, <laughs> and uh, and that was you know like it, it, there's always been the the challenge behind naming a beer a Christmas beer or an Oktoberfest because you know everyone loves that December fest and that January fest. Many years ago, I don't want to say the name of the brewery, <laughs> but my first introduction was probably 15 years ago. A brewery there was an apricot wheat <laughs> that was being sold at 50 percent discount, and it made me. It, it killed my image of that brewery forever, and it could never get over it. Yeah. So I guess don't discount your beers that don't sell, right? Dump them yeah. on the market. Give it up. up. They say the two the the two ways to kill your beer is raise your price or lower your price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny the, with with pumpkin beers. It almost feels like the prerequisite to the sort of uh, pastry sweet everything. The hazy IPA uh, is that we wanted. Uh, there was a, a a large desire for beer that didn't taste like we classically understood beer to taste like, and that was much more palatable to a wider audience. That's irrelevant of of age or, or gender, but more about just the fact that, like, you want something that's easier to drink, and a lot of beer is an acquired taste. I mean, I love a... I don't... I don't in fact, I don't love 
a classic West Coast double IPA anymore. It's hard to drink. And some like New England triple IPAs still carry a fair amount of bitterness, and that's not pleasant anymore. We, we taught ourselves to be there, all of us did, for many, many years. But that as, as we've generally shifted away from it in the market, you see fewer of them. Now, I can't drink them. I know a lot of people who can't drink, like a Pliny the Elder does not drink like it used to. Not that it's not great, but... It's a little tough. No, it's a good point. Ethan, we're going to wrap up soon, but are there any other points from your study that we did not cover that, that this group might want to address? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing for the small craft beer uh, owner out there is that you know all of this data is, is certainly great to have, especially at a professional basis, but really it just comes down to knowing who your customers are. And, and that could be as simple as being at your brewery, chatting with your customers and, and having an interaction. And it could be as formal as actually doing surveys and sitting down with your top customers and, and folks you hope to be your top customers. So, you know, it doesn't have to be that intimidating. This is all just another way of getting to know who the people are that are buying from you. And who do you call when you need to know what beer to get? So you're going to a, you have a special occasion event where you want to bring, are you going to, you broke this down really well. So, so tell me more about it. Yeah, there, there's all these different occasions, and, and I don't want to sound like I, uh, I know everything, but... But, but you I, do, so come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I, I'm the person people call when they, they need to get some, <laughs> some beer advice, but I'm, I'm part of the, the Mickler Running Club out in L.A., and uh, if I thought I knew stuff about beer, there's folks there who, who've been doing this way longer than I have. Okay, so, so I'm in L.A., we just went on a run. What, what, where are you guys going to end up and what should I be drinking? So we're, we're at Mickler and, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it's allowed or not. So maybe cut this later, but, uh, people uh, bring live <laughs> <laughs> people bring, uh, from their own cellars and, and, uh, and personal, personal stock, they bring beers, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's some great bottle shops in LA that have, uh, have well curated selections. They have people who are going to guide you so through just it. tell me one that you like yeah uh, buzz bottle shop in la is pretty fantastic and what part of la oh uh, that's downtown downtown la what would you get what, what's a, a la beer <laughs> that i favorite. should get oh i love yeah. i love belgian i'm so bad at favorites um i Current let's see favorite. so so i really like stuff out of dry river they're uh all their beer touches oak so they're all naturally sour um and and they're great uh, I think their youngest beer is usually three, four months old. So these are complex and, and sour, not not just a, a cheap kettle sour. And, and David, any data on L.A. or uh, California? I mean, L.A., I, I think I just think of some of the largest brands, but I mentioned Firestone 805 before. That is literally one of the largest beer brands, period, sold in Los Angeles. At this point, it, uh, that's Firestone Walker again. But uh, we've seen some of the newer breweries pop up, uh, like um, Three Weavers is one that comes to mind uh, that has gotten a little bigger, joined the Canarchy platform with Oscar Blues, Cigar City, companies like that. Uh, and, and, yeah, the L.A. is definitely coming along. Everywhere is coming along with local beer. Ted, do you get any L.A. beers? Any, any interest in L.A. beers? Here in New York, I mean the only the only LA beer I can think of that we get in is um, you know from the AB world, um, uh, Golden Road. Sure. Yeah, you know, we we do get three weavers at this point, right? Or at least there was for a little bit. It's an all woman owned brewery too, so if if That's you find always, it, definitely support definitely them. Definitely drink it. Yeah, I, and you know, other half does bring around some of the the cool kids of LA for the events. We we had a little bit of Green Cheek, some Highland Park, some Monkish uh, the last couple weeks uh, after Green City. 
And well. I just I just asked Gage if he had any data on LA, but I don't know if he has signal here. Yeah, it's looking like I'm not I'm not going to have any. But something to think about, you know, the differences, and that's something you did bring up, Ethan. The difference between like you have things in LA you might know. There's certain neighborhoods, certain towns. Yeah, you might know it, but people in New York don't care. And and what's what's so tough about that is, I mean, I know the difference between Santa Monica and Venice, and they're you know about a mile or two away, and no one has any clue. It's all just L.A. When you oh, but do out. you know the difference between Bushwick and Williamsburg? Come <laughs> exactly. on, <laughs> uh, one has Hasidic Jews. I think it's just... <laughs> well, That's yeah. True. This has been a great show, guys. Another one we could do for hours and hours, and um, we're going to wrap it up. So if everyone can just once again say their name and where they work. Ted we'll Kennedy at Top Hops uh, in Orchard Street in Lower East Side. Good Beer Seal Bar, man. Great work, Ted. Thank you. David Steinman, Beer Marketers Insights. Thanks for having you on, man. With how many? Three generations now? Yeah, that's it. Industry information. Three, three, genera- three generations and maybe counting. Who knows? <laughs> Ethan Siegler just graduated from USC Marshall School of Business. Thanks for doing the Congratulations. Uh, my name is Gage. I'm from BeerMenus.com and Non Sequitur Beer Project. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. Big shout out to our producer, Dustin Kennedy, engineer, Matt Patterson. Congrats. He just got married. He's back. Assistant producer, Aaliyah Papes. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for joining us on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.